person was born, a date the person died, and a slash in between. And that slash in between can either be your resume or it can be your eulogy. I want to believe this morning that we're working towards our eulogy, not our resume. Our resume is based upon things that we have done, problems we have solved, mountains we have climbed, battles that we have won. But our eulogy represents what kind of impact will we make on this world when we are gone. This week, one of uh, Pastor Rhonda's pastors and one of my, uh, a very young mentor in my life passed away. And I remember 15 years of age, I was in Bakersfield, California, in a church conference where all the pastors came together, a three or four day uh, seminar. Rhonda's dad was the state overseer of California, and he invited Ronnie Brock to come in and preach the camp meeting. Ronnie, at the age of 27, was pastor of North Cleveland Church of God, and every record that Dr. T.R. Lowry made, Ronnie broke. He was a go-getter. He was, a go-getter. He was an incredible minister. When he would preach, he had a, he had a sands glass behind his podium, and he would turn it upside down, and when all that sand poured out, he, he'd be done preaching. The sand lasted 17 minutes. And I thought, how cool is that? You left, you left there wishing he'd have said more than left there going, man, he said way too much. And uh, it, was, it was in that particular setting. And I don't know why, because I never sat with my parents for anything as a child growing up. But for some reason, I was there with my mom and dad. I remember Ronnie was preaching. Ronnie came off the, the, the platform, walked down the aisle, and pointed his finger at me. And he, and he called me, made me stand up, had me stand up. And then he said, your ministry will far exceed my ministry, and your anointing will far exceed my anointing. I'm 15 years old. I'm looking for a girlfriend. I'm not interested about anointing. Can anybody relate? But you know what? That, that was one of those moments in your life that you never forget. We have had the privilege uh, several years ago of hosting Ronnie Brock here. He ministered the body Sunday morning, Sunday night, sang the song. He was there all the time. Incredible anointing. And uh, this, this past week, he went to be with the Lord. And as, as he went to be with the Lord, as his brother-in-law performed his funeral on the, on the um, program that announced who was doing the services and what was going on, on the back page, there was a list of probably over 100 things that Ronnie Brock had accomplished in his life. He didn't just leave a resume. He left a eulogy. And it's my desire in life not just to leave a resume, but to, but to leave a eulogy. When I think of God, I think of where God is at, what God is doing, and what God is up to, cannot help but remember to think about the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know how many saw that movie, but there was a, there was a Lord. He was wrongly uh, uh, charged. He was falsely imprisoned. And there in what looked like to be the end of the world, he found his cell. And on the cell, there was, some, there was some writing on the wall about God. And he was there. There was an elderly gentleman that had been prisoned most of his life. And, and the count made the, made the statement. He said, I don't believe in God. And the elderly gentleman said, that's okay, because God believes in you. And aren't you glad today, no matter where you feel connected or not connected, that God believes in you and the things happening for your good and for your glory. As we talk about this resume, as we talk about this eulogy, one of our, one of our favorite movies, and I actually had an uncle that survived D-Day. So very special movie to me 
was a saving of Private Ryan. It's R-rated. I would recommend your kids seeing it, but I'm at the age now where things backwards probably aren't going to affect me anymore, backmasking or thoughts or whatever. I think I've graduated from there. But the movie Private Ryan is about during, during World War II, during that D-Day moment, uh, Private Ryan had two brothers, and on the very same day, they were both killed in battle. When they got the report, when the president of the United States got the report that two brothers had died, they went to find the third brother <coughs> to take him out of battle and to take him home. Incredible, phenomenal movie. Kind of shows some of the attributes of World War II and all the, all the soldiers that died for us and all the lives that were spent. But at the very end of the movie, as they're getting Private Ryan to a safe place, they, they cut off the enemy. They didn't have to cut off the enemy, but they cut off the enemy, and they set up an ambush, and they defeated most of the enemy, and then the tide turned, and more of the enemy came in. And before Tom Hanks, who was the captain of that particular brigade, was wounded, before Tom Hanks died, he looked at Private Ryan and said, earn this, earn this. The movie begins with an entire family going to the Washington Memorial where all the crosses are, and there's an elderly gentleman with his wife and all their kids, all their grandkids. And he looked at his wife and said, have I been a good man? Have I been a good man? And that was Private Ryan, all grown up. God puts things in our life that helps us to grow, to mature, to learn some of the things that we desire. I was thinking about the difference between popularity and purpose. I think I'd rather sacrifice popularity on the altar of purpose than to sacrifice purpose on the altar of popularity. This morning for just a few minutes, I'm going to be looking at some thoughts that in our eyes and in our spirit that we can look into and we can determine where we, where we are pretty much in this scale of God's plan. Ephesians 3, the 16th chapter. I love to hear the sound of God's pages turning through the... I actually had this marked with something, but obviously it got unmarked. Ephesians 3. And I want to begin reading in verse 16. This is Jesus Christ. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. What is the breadth, the width, the length, the depth, the height. I'm going to stop right there and remind you that I remember in Sunday school we used to sing a song, Deep and Wide. I don't know how many remember, but we did. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide, and then we would leave out the deep, and we would hum, hum, and why. How many has been there with me? Then eventually you get to where every, every, word, every word is just a hum. Hum and hum, hum and hum. And uh, I, I remember as a child in that same setting, we used to sing a song about there was a wise old king who had a thousand men. He marched them up the hill, and he marched them down again. And I was thinking about that song that tied in with that that says that, that God's, let me make sure I tell this right. The home of the Lord is too high to go over, is too low to go under, 
it's too wide to go around, so you have to come in at the door. How many remember that? Pastor Rhonda, thank you, Pastor Rhonda. Don't I look, don't I look nice today, Pastor Rhonda, dressed me Friday night, early celebration. My birthday is not till the 28th. Write, write that down, 28th. And she promised me we weren't going to have a cake and a party, but I'm all into cakes and parties, so if you want to have a, oh, we have cake and party. Uh, I'm out of happy, I'm out of happy cologne. I'm out of shotgun shells. I'm out of seven millimeter odd eight deer rifle bullets, and I can always use some dopey. So there you have it. Those are the desires of my heart this coming up Wednesday. Let me finish reading. And to know the love of God, this Apostle Paul praying for us, what Jesus Christ would do, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all fullness of God. Now watch this. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh, watch this, in us, that worketh in us, that we are tied into a power, that we're tied into a source. Paul said, know ye that the power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same spirit, that same power, is supposed to dwell in us. And Courtney, as I was looking at the scripture today, I kind of broke it into some pieces and kind of took it word by word. And the first word there is, is now. How many knows that we serve a now God? How many knows that things that God has spoken, we are getting ready to roll over and see some of the things happen? How many know that we are literally, as a nation, I just spoke with two uh, prophecy pastors yesterday. My father has earned doctorate in theology. He has studied the book of Revelation pretty much my entire life. And I was with someone, I was with, one of my renters came up with all these incredible things about Revelation and the return of the Lord. And as we see things happening right now in America and we see what's happening in the world, it looks like that we are about to head towards World War III, whether we want to or not. I had a um, marquee of a church in Dearborn, Michigan, and it was an um, Islamic church. And it said something about we, we hate America and we will kill you and you will not survive. Okay, that's like one of our churches in, in Michigan. And we're all worried about the Confederate flag. Hello. I mean, is that, is that a place where, Richard, my personal opinion, every single prophecy where it says this gospel shall be preached in all the world for witness and then shall the end come, that scripture was fulfilled through Christian television right now. It doesn't say that every person in the world will hear it. It's that every nation of the world will hear it. Every single nation of the world now has television, the word of God. How incredible, how phenomenal is that? I personally believe, Jerry, that we are going to, we are going to occur a revival that's going to rock this nation, a revival that's going to rock the world. It may be a disaster or a tragedy. They may bring that. There might be a tsunami. Uh, most of you watching the news, the most severe hurricane in the history of mankind, touched down yesterday in Mexico. This is the most, there's never been a hurricane this severe, 240 mile per hour winds, and they begin to talk about, they've been to compare other hurricanes, none has been quite like this. But Jesus said, in the last days, there's gonna be pestilences, there's gonna be weird things happening, things taking place. And I believe that we're actually seeing the prophecy of Jesus. I do not want to be political, nor would I be political, but it's, it's uncanny that it seems like our rulers who, who have been, um, I guess just sought out the word I'm looking for, some of our, some of our rulers that have things in their, 
life that's out of order, that's crazy. It seems like our nation does not care about that. We just want wealth and prosperity. And anybody that can offer us more money, that's where we're at. I saw Joe Biden, heard what he had to say, was very impressed with the speech. Uh, I, I assume, you know, I'm not a politician, but I assume that Biden made that statement, the window's not open, in the unlikely event the next, the next day, as Benghazi was sought out, if Hillary Clinton was thrown under the bus, then Joe Biden would have said, there is a window, and I will run. That didn't happen, and as you see, this world is being, being controlled by people that we have absolutely no say-so, except we have the power of prayer. And I believe that he is a now God. I believe he's a right now God. I believe that he'll answer questions in prayer right now. I just, I just believe that. And then it says, now, unto him. Who is he? He is the king of glory. That's who we're talking about today. Does that excite anybody in the house? Unto him, that is. He is what he is. He told Abraham, I am that I am. And that actual translation means, I will be whatever you want me to be. Does that impress anybody in the building that everything that we need, he has provided, and he will be in our life what he needs to be? He is able. That means, Jerry, he has substance. He's not running out. He's got plenty. And it says he is unto him that's able, that is, he's able to do. He's a God of action. He's not a God that sits on the throne and Twitter. He's a God of action. He's a God that's constantly walking the circuit of the earth, looking for people that are praising him and worshiping him and making, them, making himself home there in that, in that place. Does that excite anybody? Exceedingly means more than enough. And abundantly means enough to share. And when it says all, it says the earth is the Lord's, the fullness of the world, and they that dwell therein. So he is all that and a bag of chips. He's waiting to watch. He's, he's, he's trying to watch. He's trying to help. He's trying to get us to work on our eulogy. How many says, I don't know what eulogy spells, but I'm sure that's something I need to be part of. Three or four, thank you. Amen. E-U-L-O-G-Y, eulogy. Eulogy. Um, I got just a few notes here on how to measure up. Uh, this this passage of scripture talks about all that God wants to be to us. If you'll go to Revelation four, you don't have to go there, but it talks about the angel is measuring the walls of the city, measuring heaven, perfect four square, one hundred twenty furlongs by one hundred twenty furlongs. It's as high as it is wide. It's as tall as it is deep. I mean, what a crazy place, Richard, that God has created for us to live forever. But when I, thought, when I, when I think about measurement as a, as a carpenter, I think about a tape measure, that this has the ability to, to measure. And if you are a good carpenter, you should be able to take a one-inch tape and extend it at least 12 foot if you're a good carpenter. Now, I haven't done any carpentry in quite a while, but let's see if I'm a Jerry, what do you think? All, all bets, there's nine feet, which, which is what I want to stop at. Anybody betting? This tape measure for Jeff, it is not submitting. It is not. Okay. Drum roll. Angel, that's your tape measure. Okay. 
It's all your fault. In order to be what God wants you to be, the first thing that I've written down here is that you have got I look back on my life, the day has come now where there have been more positive days, more positive days than negative days. I lived for the enemy 24 years. In, in between, there was a moment I tried to live for God, but for the most part, at the age of, age of 24, I lived pretty much in partying whatever I wanted to do. And at the age of 25, God turned things around. At the age of 26, I started traveling. Now that I'm 61, Wednesday, I've actually served God longer than I've served the devil. And 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 that is that is that is a that is a that is a that is something that we can accomplish. I've been clean now for 35 years. I'm walking proof that you can stay clean. And you know what? Not just stay clean, but make something out of your life. I think when I stand before God, you know, a lot of times we measure things according to what they look like, not necessarily what they are made of. And I think a lot of marriages got all messed up because we were looking at what they look like, not concerned about what they're made of. And, you know, when you have the, when you have the attitude, she is so fine. Let me tell you something, 10 years down the road, fine ain't going to matter. Is she a friend? Or you could have both, like me. I got someone fine who is my friend. But a lot of things that we do, a lot of things that we pursue, I think a lot of times, we limit ourselves because of not just past failures, but also because of past successes. And I was, I was reflecting, Pastor John called a couple of days ago, and we were just talking about some things that God had done. I thought about, you know, the Charisma magazine, how our picture was on the cover, and thought about Daystar. They've told our story around the world, as TBN has, and all the great places, all the great things we've done, all of the conferences, all the things we've done. But that seems to be a closed window right now. That does not seem to be the area that God is leading, that God is directing. God is leading and directing for us to stay here, plant this church, grow, grow, do what God's called us to, take on some some ministry efforts, be involved. We, we're involved in a, in a crazy ministry right now. I don't want to speak um, prematurely, but uh, Miss Kelly is our liaison to a ministry that has decided when the weather gets below th 30, 32. When the weather gets below 30, this church is going to bring in all the indigents and give them a place to, to sleep and a place to eat. Well, we have, we, amen, that's, and so instead of us going and reinventing the wheel, we're tagging in with them, we're becoming a part of them, and, and Kel, I just need you to know that I committed to like 100 pair of socks and 100 pair of underwear. Many of the indigents don't want to take a shower because they don't clean underwear. So we're giving them, uh, we, they have plenty of toboggans, we don't need to get the toboggan, but they need, the, they need the underwear, they need the socks. Now, you know what? You might say, that's not very cool or that's not very important. But Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So we're going to buy the Lord a pair of socks and a pair of clean underwear, and he can do what he will with it. But we are going to see some things happen. I want to share something with this house. Yes, give a Lord. I want to share something with this house. It was a, it was a divine, supernatural moment that allowed us to purchase this property 20, 27 years ago. It was a miracle. We were able to purchase nine, then we came back and purchased eight acres for 25000 an acre, and now the land has appraised at 250000 an acre. There is a team meeting out of Knoxville tomorrow 
They own an RV company. They want to bring their retail to Cleveland. They're looking at it here. And we're at a place where we feel like God's going to allow us to sell this and build what we want, debt-free, first class, a place that would feed, clothe, and take care of the loss. And so in our frustrations, it hasn't, it hasn't sold as quickly as we would want it to. The, the contractor out of Knoxville wants $75,000 to re-roof the building and guarantee it for 15 years. Our challenge is whoever buys this property is probably going to level this building and put a red lobster or, a, or, or something here. And so I cannot justify spending $75,000 to, to put a roof on. But I know it's frustrating to come to church and see the ceiling tile missing. I, there's places in this church we don't let you go. It looks like a, a hand grenade went off there, and it's just, it's just everywhere. But we, we don't have mold. We're not dealing with mold, nothing that's going to make us sick or to hurt us. But we are, are ready to go to the place that God wants us to go and be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. So we can't count the successes of yesterday or the failures of yesterday. You have to come to a place in your life. And um, we, we were listening to a message by Steve Furtick that talked about what, what has impacted you, what has changed your life. Before um, Pastor Ron and I were resurrected, uh, there, was a, there was a ministry that somehow I got their tape. His name was Bob Gass. I think he's still alive today doing devotions. But Bob Gass preached a sermon on forgetting the past, pursuing the future. That had to be 35, 34. That had to be 33 years ago. But you know, today, and Pastor Ron can tell you, if I wanted to, I could preach the sermon from memory with absolutely no notes because he shared something that impacted my life. Philippians 3 and 13, here's what Paul said. Brethren, talking to church, I count not, I count not myself for having apprehended. That word apprehended means arrived. Paul's saying, God's not done with me. God's got some more stuff for me. God's, God's involved in more stuff. He'd already written half the Bible, been almost murdered. I mean, what a, gr a glorious time. But he said, I haven't yet apprehended, but this one thing I do. He didn't say you go to Jimmy Squire Conference. Didn't say you had Benny Hinn lay hands on you. Didn't say you had to go to special anointing or be baptized in the Jordan River. He said it's something that he did. This one thing I do, forgetting the past and pursuing the things that are before me. I press towards the mark. And there's that, there's that mark again. That's that place where God marks us as a measure of a man or a measure of a woman. And God doesn't use a tape measure. God uses a scale. Now, we didn't have a scale. I, I waited kind of uh, long to get the, get, get the scale. But the scale, and, and yesterday, I, I really believe that it was a God thing. But yesterday, while I, my mom, as you know, is in signature, she's coming home today at 2 o'clock, uh, doing very, very good. Um, yesterday, they took my mom, and they took her to a scale, and they put her on the scale, and, and they weighed her. And you know me, I, I ask questions. If I'm there, I, I don't know something I'm going to ask. I said, now, do you include the wheelchair in the weight? They said, oh, no, we've already factored the weight of the wheelchair, and we've discounted that. And you know what? God does not measure us with our disabilities. God does not measure us with our failures. God does not measure us with how many promises we've broken or how many times we have dropped the ball. God does not measure that. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Pressing towards that mark. Now, watch it. I press towards the mark. There's a place there of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. There's a place that every one of us are pursuing 
It's not necessary to be rich or famous, but it's to be like him. And the more that we're like him, the more that we will change the lives of others and make some kind of difference in this city. Do I have a friend in the house? So number one, you've got, you've got to forget the things that were yesterday and see what's happening in the things that are today. Expectations. Uh, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. So we're not condemned for the mistakes we made. Matter of fact, God seems to take those testimonies and, and turn them into lifelines that heals and touches and blesses people. Because when you've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and have survived, if the Lord helps me one day, I'm going to preach a sermon on scars. Scars is not a symbol of defeat. Scars is a symbol of a battle you went through and you survived. You may have thought you didn't win, but you're, you survived. You're still here. So every one of us, if we, we, we see these scars of divorce, we see these scars of pride or see these scars of whatever, they remind us we did not die there. We did not drop over. We made it through. We made it through the storm. And a lot of us, when God began to help us, a lot of us can say, you ought to see the other guy because God beat him up and God allowed me to do what I'm supposed to be doing. That's the faithfulness of God. Can we give a Lord a hand clap of appreciation? I thought that was, I thought that was. On this, on this, on this measuring up, let me, I still have 19 minutes, and I, I do intend to stay close to the clock. There are, there are two stories I want to share with you. One of them, obviously, is the story of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet uh, like, like unto, unto God. Uh, Samuel was over the, the nation when God gave victory after victory after victory. The coup, the, the congregation told Samuel, we want a king like everybody else. We want a physical king. We want grandeur. We want splendor. We want palaces. We want, all, we want, we want the army. We want all that. And Samuel said, what you're asking for is very silly. Your king will tax you. He will take your virgin maidens. He'll take your young men. He will send some of them off to die. He'll put tax on you. You have to pay out of your pocket for all these things. They said, that doesn't matter. We still want a king. Samuel went to God, and, and, and Samuel said, and I live by these words. Samuel went to God and said, the people have rejected me. And God said, no, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They rejected me. And if no one gets my message, if no one hears my heart, if no one responds, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the word of God and the things of God. And, and, and God told Samuel, give him a king. Give him a king. So Richard, they picked out, they brought all the, all the men of, of the village there, and they begin to look. And the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. And Samuel said, well, this is a good pick. Let's pick Saul. Let's pick Saul. And in his younger reign as king, Saul did great. Just some things happened, some pride some things got out of order. He disobeyed. You all know the story that uh, he, committed, he committed suicide as he was trying to fight the enemies of God. You all know the story of David. When, when, God saw that Saul, when God saw that Saul was not going to submit, God told Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and anoint a king. Boy, there's, a whole, there's several places we could go here. And as Samuel got to Jesse's, they were honored. They were blown away. Wow, a, a visit from the, prop, the prophet of God. And so Samuel told them what he was there to do. And so Jesse brought all of his sons, the oldest first. And when, and when Samuel saw um, Abimelech, here's what, here's what Samuel said to himself. Man, he's tall. He's taller than the rest of them. He, he said, wait a minute. 
I've anointed a tall king before. It didn't go that well. And so Samuel goes to the next one. And everybody's waiting for Samuel to take the, the oil and pour it over his head. He goes to the next one. All six sons. And said, you know what? This is where I'm supposed to be, but this is not who I'm supposed to anoint. Do you have any other kids? There are two references in Psalms and one in Proverbs that alludes to that David may have been an illegitimate child. Because when they asked for the sons, they discluded David. And Samuel looked at dad and said, listen, this is the right house. Are you sure you don't have any of the sons? Oh, David, yeah, David's out there taking care of the sheep. David, they bring David in, and in front of all of his brothers, Samuel anoints him as king. Guess what David did? Went back to work. Went back to the sheep. Went back to doing what he was supposed to be doing. Too young to go to battle. Dad sends him to battle with some bread and cheese to bless his brothers. He sees a giant of a man, and he finds out that there's a reward if they defeat this giant. He prayed about it. He told Saul, I can do it. I can kill him. I can take him out. Saul tried to put him, and, and uh, Goliath was nine cubits, which would have been 12 cubits, which would have been nine feet tall at least. And David couldn't wear the king's armor. I can't fight this. I got my own stuff here. I got this sling, and I can use it. And you know the story. He ran towards Goliath, and he said as he was running, you come to me with the sword and spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast despised. This day will God deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thy head from thee, and I will feed the carcass of the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Now, that was a mouthful, was it not? That was a mouthful. But, but David was not measured by his height or by his appearance later in, the, in Samuel, is that David was a very good-looking young man. But David was not selected because of his looks are good. I mean, we all look down there. Uh, he, he wasn't called because of his looks. He was called there was an anointing on David. And let me tell you what produced his anointing. Hours and hours and hours and hours in the, in the fields. I mean, sheep don't require a whole lot of attention. Every once in a while, he had to kill a bear. Had to kill a, a, a lion, but pretty much it was pretty basic what he was doing. He would stay out for days and weeks at a time. Watch this, guys. In his spare time, he took a harp and learned how to play it like no one could play it. I have not once, not twice, but probably over a hundred times in my ministry have had people approach me having nightmares. They can't sleep. Things are going on. I will tell them, you need to get some worship music. You need to go to bed listening to worship music, praise music, because it will drive. David had the ability to, he was so anointed that when he played, the demons fled. When he played, satanic spirits were, were dissolved. They could not come against his anointing. And the Bible says that Saul was entertaining a demonic spirit. And when Saul would get that spirit on him, they sent for David. David would play a song to, to the Lord, and, and, and the demonic spirit would leave Saul. And Saul, instead of appreciating what David did, he got mad at David, tried to kill David. You all know the story. But there was, there was something there about not just learning how to play the harp beyond, beyond comparison, but he also became very skillful with that sling. I've seen an Old Testament sling. It's not a slingshot that you pull back and you draw. It's a, it's a piece of rawhide that has a pouch tied to it, and you sling it. That's why they call it a slingshot. 
you sling it around your head, and then you release the finger, release the finger, it releases the strap, and the stone goes to where you're aiming. Now listen, running at full speed at a target that was too big to miss. See, all the other soldiers said he's too big to hit. No, he's too big to miss. Look at that target. Look at it. He ran towards him, and he ran towards him. He took that stone, and he slung it, and hit the Goliath in the only nine-foot-tall wide. The, the only place he could hit was where his helmet came together like this. And where his face, there's a little spot right there. And David was so profound. He was so skilled. He was so practiced. That, to be able to shoot an arrow like that and hit that little spot running, no less. I mean, how, how much practice would we have to do? To, we could get on the four-wheel and practice that way, couldn't we? But can you imagine that ability, knocked that giant down, then ran over and took the giant's sword and cut the giant's, giant's head off. Then he held up that bloody head for everybody to cheer because God did not look at how tall he was or how skilled he was, but God saw that he was available. He, he took care of his quality time. He learned how to play the harp. He learned how to do the sling, and, and God made him captain. God made him king. What a great, incredible Phenomenal story. There's one. There's one more story. Uh, if you'll go with me, perfect timing. If you'll go with me to the book of Daniel, I had wanted, but I won't. I had wanted to Daniel Hosea. Ezekiel, right? This is an incredible story. Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 5. I've wanted today, and I won't, to read this entire story. Because these are stories our kids need to grow up under. This is anointing that our kids need to know, whether popular or unpopular, God still triumphs. The story goes all the way back to Ezekiel, and I will not bore you. You know the story. Hezekiah was sick. God touched him. He took his little army. He, def he defeated an army of thousands. A reputation went out. Kings came from Babylon, Iraq, Iran, went to the castle. Hezekiah took them for a tour, showed them all of the wealth, all the things, all the things that they had done. Ezekiel, Isaiah rather, comes to Hezekiah and said, who were those men and what did they want? He said, those men are kings from, from Iraq, Iran, and they just wanted to compliment me on my, my great exploits and adventures. And Isaiah said, what you've done is a very stupid thing. What you've done is a very stupid thing. You've allowed the enemy to come into your house and observe your riches, not in your lifetime, but in your son's lifetime. They'll come back. They'll kill all your men. They'll rape all your women. They'll put all your kids in captivity, and they did exactly the way that God spoke it. And as they are in captivity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are castrated. They were never able to get married, never able to have children. They served the king the rest of their life. But on this particular window, there is a 
Belshazzar. Belshazzar, which means crackpot. By the way, I know that does it. Uh, Belshazzar has called in this party. They're eating, they're drinking, they're, they're partying. And so Belshazzar calls for the items of gold that were taken from the Holy of Holies in Israel. And so he takes these, these containers that are only supposed to be for the priests to honor God, and they begin to drink wine, and they begin to drink to their gods, and there, I believe there were five gods. But the two uh, dominant gods in this story are the gods of gold and silver. I do not know if you've been watching any television, but about every 15 to 30 seconds there's a commercial about how you need to buy gold and silver because our nation, there's no telling what's going on. And I thought, how ironic that here we are scrambling, and we went through a window of taking our gold because we, we didn't need it. We'd rather have the cash for it. But right now there seems to be an emphasis or a focus on the fact that gold is the new money system. Silver is the new money system. A lot of people are, are operating in that. But the, this king, with all of his entourage, all of his concubines, all of his girlfriends, all of his wives, all, all of his leaders, they were drinking, making merry, partying. And while they were all pretty drunk, all of a sudden, on the wall of the castle was a man's hand. They don't say how big that hand was, but it was big enough to see the distance. And this hand wrote four words. And as they looked at this handwriting on the wall, uh, Bel Belshazzar got, got very nauseated, got freaked out. His countenance changed. It, it, it troubled him. He called all of his musicians, all of his magicians, all of his soothsayers in and said, I'll give you a third, I'll make you a third ruler. I'll give you all this wealth. I'll put a gold chain around your neck. If you interpret, nobody could interpret. Nobody had a clue what it meant. Belshazzar's wife came in seeing him all wiped out, all tore up, all messed up. He, she said, listen, you need, you need to stop worrying. There's a guy in the, in the, in the nation that can, that can interpret this, this, these words. And the words are many, many tekel upharsin. Many, many tekel upharsin. And as, as Daniel came to, into, the, into, the, into the party, the king looked at him and said, I'll, give you, I'll make you one-third ruler. I'm assuming it was the king and his wife and then Daniel. I'll make you one-third ruler. I'll give you an offering of this. I'll put gold around your neck. I'll do this. I'll put scarlet on you. And here's what David said. Daniel said, keep your gold, keep your silver, keep your scarlet. But I will interpret what it has to say. And what many, many Tekelupharsin meant in that language was, you have been found, you've been weighed, and you've been found wanting. You've been found, there's nowhere to hide from God. You've been weighed. God has a certain expectation on every one of us in our destiny, and you have not measured up to what you should be. Daniel looked at the king and said, tonight, tragedy will come to your house. The king laughed, gave him a gold chain, put him in scarlet, got all, this, all the, the, the gold vessels that started drinking wine. And while they were doing that, I think it was Darius. That, does that sound right, Pastor Rhonda? Darius invaded that night. Not a week, not a month, not a year, that night. And Belshazzar and all of his entourage were murdered, and Darius took over the kingdom. There are three times that God has limited himself to writing. And you know, uh, Peggy, if any, if any one of those times we could have preserved it, when God wrote the Ten Commandments and we had that, we could prove to people there was a God. 
when Jesus wrote down the sand concerning the, the woman caught in adultery, if we could have somehow salvaged what he wrote, and here on this wall, the hand of God, many, many techie farsen, was written. But apparently the, the building collapsed, they tore it down, and that we, we have no actual proof in this area that there is a God. But in my heart of hearts, and in my mind of minds, my life of lies, I know there's a God. I know he loves me. I know he cares about me. And I know that he has good things planned for me. Now, I told you, I told you that story to tell you this story. Uh, we have shown his video. I put it on Facebook. It is a tremendous story of a kid by the name of Chris. Chris has no arms, hands. He has no legs, knees. He just has the, just has the stub. But Chris has managed to surf, hang glide, jump out of planes. And to this, to this moment that we know of, Chris has led over 200,000 kids to the Lord in his testimony. 200,000 kids. He didn't let his disability weigh him down. He didn't let the negative. He didn't, he didn't let all that stuff. He learned how to overcome. He did it different, different than we did it, but he did it. And we thank God that no matter what God has placed inside of you, there's greatness in there. God wants to bring it out. God wants to draw it out. God wants to use you. And, you know, when you, when you step on the scales, he does not measure your handicap. He doesn't highlight on your handicap. He doesn't measure on the things that you've attached yourself to that are dead. That's not what he does. When he measures you, he gives you your accurate measurement according to what he wants you to be in his kingdom, spells it out, gives it to you, and tells you to go for it. Teddy Roosevelt is one of my favorite presidents. The reason being he was a part of the Rough Riders. If you've studied history, the Rough Riders took on a, 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 a major army at network and defeated in, in, in that war, uh, Teddy Roosevelt put a uh, boxing ring in the, in the White House, and Teddy Roosevelt, much chagrin of all of his Secret Service, would get in the boxing ring and box with anybody that thought they could whip him. And I, I thought, what a great story. I mean, I'd never heard that story before. But did you know that Teddy Roosevelt, when he was born, he had asthma? He only weighed 100 pounds as a teenager. All the kids made fun of him. All the kids laughed at him. His dad was dead. He was a mama's boy. But when Teddy Roosevelt got to be 16 or 17 years of age, young, he started working out. He started lifting weights. And then he got to a place as a man, had a big old barrel chest, and could probably whip anybody that would get in the boxing ring. He didn't let circumstances disqualify him. He took the circumstances and turned into positive, turned into good, and that's how good God is. That's how great God is. The word, the word glory, when we unto him that's able to do when we look at the glory of the lord there are those of you that's been with me a long time you've heard the story but there are some that have not heard it so i want i want to share it with you the um several several years ago there was a missionary evangelist that had touched the world he was a great uh minister he had souls saved he had lives changed incredible incredible ministry well known reputation well known uh every year or two he would come into the States and raise money for his missionary efforts. Then he would get the money and go back on the road. And the door opened for him to pastor an assembly of God just for a window in Michigan. And uh, this, this man was a man of God, but he had a challenge. Rick, he was obese. He wasn't obese because his eating habits were out of order. He was obese because the chemicals in his body were out of order. He tried to fast. He tried to diet. He tried to do everything he knew to do, but it, it was a monster, and, and it had him. So when he came to the States, the door opened for him to pastor in Michigan, the north, in a, in a, in a, in a great church. 
And there was a couple in the church that he, Pastor Todd, he, he really liked. They were sharp. He loved them. They were, they were talented. And every once in a while, they would come over and, and you know, ask. Let me rephrase that. Every once in a while, he would go to their house and bring something to them that they didn't really need, but just, just to open the door. And he stepped in. If you've never been in the north, most of the houses have what's called a narthex or a closed porch. And that's where you let all the snow fall off. You take off your galage. You take off your umbrella. You take off your coat before you go in the house. And he would go over and knock on their door. And uh, they'd come to the door and say, Pastor, good to see you. What are you doing? Come on in for a cup of coffee. And he always said no. But every time they invited him in, he looked over their shoulder to see if they had prepared a place for him to sit. He couldn't sit in a normal chair. He couldn't sit in a normal couch. If he sat down the couch, he couldn't get up. He'd been embarrassed so many times in his life, he just made his mind up, he would never do that again. And as they're inviting him in, inviting him for coffee and inviting him for cake or whatever, and he always say no, he would leave there thinking, don't they realize they need to build a special place for me to sit? The word worship is quadad, and it means waiting, waiting. The things of God are waiting. The things of God are awesome. And how many times does God walk the streets of Cleveland, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Atlanta, L.A., and say, I would really like to come into their house, but they have not built me a place to sit. I started this day with telling you that we've done exactly what we were created to do. We've worshiped the Lord. We've praised the Lord. That's what we were called to do. But our words are framing lumber that builds a seat for God not to just come visit, not just to sprinkle with the stardust, but God actually wants to sit down, take residence up with us, eat what we're eating, doing what we're doing, being a part of our life, motiv motivating, motivating us so that there will come a day when, Helen, you won't just have a resume, but you'll have a eulogy. And this is what people will say about you when you're gone. Well, we're in heaven, so it really doesn't matter. But how blesses our kids, our church, our family, that they would say these things about us, the weighty things of God. I wonder if I go for uh, 13 feet. Uh, real quick, just as every head is bowed, every eye is closed. We have um, we've had a great day this morning. God has blessed us. We've interceded for those that are sick. We honor those that need to be honored. But as the message of Bob Gass 30 some odd years ago so impacted my life, I don't know how you would rate a sermon on a scale of 1 to 10. I don't know how you would rate a sermon because I don't think it's the sermon that needs to be rated. I think it's the activity after the sermon, the next day. What do we hear today that tomorrow we put into effect and begin to build up in the kingdom what God has called us to be and do what God has called us to do. Jeremiah 46 and, and, and 17, it says, The king of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is but a loud noise, for he has missed his opportunity. I would hate in the kingdom of God to miss a moment. I would hate to miss an opportunity. I would hate to miss something that God is pushing me towards, even though I'm resisting and I'm fighting. God is pushing me towards. Lord, we submit as, as clay in the hands of the potter, as silly putty in the hands of a child, we submit.
to your touch, to your word, to your blessing, to your favor, and we will be instruments of worship. And as we become instruments of worship, the weapons of our warfare will tear down strongholds. We'll use that, that, that song, all the tools you've given us. In Jesus' name, they all said, amen.